On a frigid February morning in Montana, a couple in their 60s named Lori and Larry decided to take their boat out on a lake to catch the sunrise. Around 10.30 a.m., police receive a call that kicks off a multiple-day underwater search. Unfortunately, divers and sonar were unable to locate the missing person, and as time ticked on, it became obvious they were now searching for a body. At first glance, it appeared to be a horrible accident, but... As investigators dig deeper, they soon discover Lori Eisenberg had secrets she was keeping from her husband, Larry. Months later, a body comes to the surface and along with it, crucial evidence. What happened on the water that morning? Well, come hang out with me while I talk true crime. Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. This is my third time recording this episode. I think I am cursed. I went into the cemetery on Halloween and now I think I'm freaking cursed because I recorded this last night after work. I was so tired, but I knew I had to get it done and I wanted to do it. So I... I had a glass of wine and I recorded it. It was a great recording. It's the first one I ever recorded while drinking a glass of wine. It went very, very well. And then I woke up this morning to edit it and my computer had updated or done some type of bullshit. And I guess I didn't save it and it was gone. Just gone. So I was like, oh, okay. So then in the morning, this morning, I sat down 8 a.m., was like, okay, let's do this. Made a cup of tea. Recorded the entire, not entire, the half of it with a cup of tea. And then a street cleaner went by. So I paused the recording and I was like, oh, I'll just have a listen at what's, you know, what I what I just said last. Go to play it back. The fucking microphone wasn't plugged in. The mic, well, it was plugged in, but for some reason, my program didn't recognize it and didn't use it as the primary source of recording and it was recording through my computer's microphone and it sounded like absolute shit okay so then I was like oh my god this is terrible so I delete it I delete it and I'm like okay I need a minute so I went for a run with my dog went and played some soccer took her swimming really burned it burned it all off you know ran back home and made a cup of coffee. So this is the third time I'm recording, this time with a cup of coffee. If this one doesn't go well, just see you later or see you never because I'm I'm just gone. I am gone three times. It's crazy. And I am trying to get a bunch of episodes recorded and edited and uploaded for, and scheduled upload before I go away. So new episodes will be coming out and I won't have to take any weeks off. So I'm on a a bit of a tight timeline here. Really don't need to be recording an episode three times, but here we go. Let's get straight into it. Let's just get straight into it. February 13th, 2018, Coeur d'Alene Lake, Montana, 68-year-old Larry and 65-year-old Lori Eisenberg decided to take a brisk morning boat ride. 
the idea, and I absolutely love this, the idea was to catch the sunrise and then head to a local restaurant for breakfast before boating back. Mm, I bet you anything they were going to get salmon eggs benedict. That's what I would get. Okay, so unfortunately they don't make it to the restaurant though. The couple, they had been married Lori and Larry, which I just love that, Lori and Larry. They had been married 14 years. They even seem to have a perfect relationship, according to people who knew them, according to people who were closest to them, including their grown adult children. Their children thought that they had a great relationship. Lori and Larry had married in 2004 after they had both gone through divorces, and they both had adult children, grown children from those previous marriages. Larry, he was retired from his uh, career in the lumber industry, which he worked in his whole life. He worked very hard. He was known as a hard worker. Lori, she was still working at North Idaho Housing Coalition, okay? This is going to come back up later, where she was a executive director, The coalition she worked for helped to fix up homes so that lower income families could have access to housing, whether that be renting, whether that be buying. And that is just a a very noble cause. It's a great company to work for. Larry, he was born and raised in the area. By the area, I mean Coeur d'Alene. But Lori, she had moved there after her divorce in 1996. Uh, Once the two got together, they were both very active in the community, uh, volunteer-wise, charity-wise, and they were just known to be this wonderful, charitable couple. At 10.25 a.m. the morning of the boat ride, police dispatch receive this call from Lori. I need help. I'm on the lake, but I don't know where. My husband has had a stroke and he fell over. I tried to grab him. I tripped and I... I can't find him. He fell overboard. So police immediately go to find Lori on the lake and they do. She claims the motor went out on the boat. There were two motors uh, and she claimed one went out and then the other one went out. Lori has a bloody nose and she is very upset. She can't really tell police where exactly on the lake Larry went. So... They don't know where to look. They try to ask her more questions and she answers the best she could, but she was very shaken. She was very distraught. So they do find blood on the boat, which apparently was from her bloody nose. So police ask her, how did you get that bloody nose? And Lori tells police that she hit her face on the door of the boat trying to stop Larry from going over. She does manage to clarify what happened and this is her story. Quote, he said he didn't feel good and he was doing things weird. And then he went up to do the motor and the motor wasn't broken. It was the other motor. And then I said, why are you doing that? And he just turned and looked at me and his face just looked... It, it just looked awful and he just started to fall and I tried to get the door open and get to him and grab him and I fell, unquote. Lori goes on to explain that she believes Larry had a stroke while he was walking around the boat trying to fix the motor that had gone out. So apparently there were two motors on this boat. One had gone out at this point. And while he was trying to fix it, he started acting very strange. Then he fell in the water and she couldn't locate him. She couldn't find him in the water. She did say that she drove the boat around the area looking for him uh, with the other motor that was working. 
until that motor stopped working and she didn't want to leave the area in hopes that she could maybe find Larry Larry would surface but also because she didn't want to lose the spot on the lake where Larry had gone in she was worried if she left that area she might not be able to uh, perfectly locate it again for a search party The thing that looked really weird was that Lori had waited roughly one and a half to two hours to call police dispatch after Larry fell in the water. Yeah, that is a very long time. She claimed that's because she had left her phone on land and she only found Larry's phone when she had grabbed a blanket to keep warm, which was again uh, about one and a half to two hours after he had fallen in the water. She said she thought his cell phone was in his pocket and went into the water with him and was submerged somewhere. She didn't think there was any phone on the boat. But don't phones, or don't, don't phones, ugh, don't boats have a, like a CB radio or some kind of radio? I, I thought they did. Um, you would think they would need to for safety reasons just like this, but this was never brought up. I didn't hear anything about this, about about a radio on the boat. In one documentary I watched on this case, it did say that Lori dropped that cell phone in the water by accident after placing that phone call to the police dispatch. Uh, other sources don't mention this, but I did see it in one. If that is true, then right away something seems off here. That cell phone was her only connection to safety, to police, to land. Both of the motors were out on the boat. She was stuck on the water and her husband was missing in the water. He had fallen in. Why would you ever release your grip on that phone? Why would you ever put it in a position that is going to compromise the safety of that lifeline, essentially? I don't know. It just seemed weird to me. The thing, though, is so Larry and... Lori. So this is seeming weird to us, yeah? But they they were well known in their community. They had amazing reputations of being just great people, really good people. And they even knew members of the police force. So they were well connected. Nobody wanted to accuse Lori of foul play. Uh, even though, I mean, some signs were kind of looking like, like it was, they didn't want to accuse her of foul play, but I will give police credit because they do keep their minds open about the situation because I did watch some body cam footage from the morning Larry went in the water and Lori really does look distraught. She looks upset, but police, they don't rule out anything right away. They treat this as it could be something sinister. Yeah. They're like, well, you know what? We've still got to treat this as, you know, something illegal could have happened here. But they say that they also have to be sensitive because it could be a legit accident. So they're not ruling it an accident. They are staying kind and sensitive to Lori in case this is legit and she didn't cause this. But they're also keeping their minds open that perhaps she did cause this somehow. That something is off. Despite massive recovery efforts, Larry's body, it was not found by the dive team. Okay, we're not going to see Larry for a couple months. Lori's secrets, they do start to surface though. And the same, that same morning, this is fucking wild. That same morning, the company Lori worked for announced that she was no longer employed there and there would also be an internal audit done by them due to accounting irregularities. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sounds like 
a lot of money has gone missing and they are looking directly at Lori. Wow. The same morning. And then I believe she sent them. She knew this was going to happen. And then she sent them an email that said, hey, my husband has just disappeared or she said something like that something about like my husband's been in an accident or my husband's disappeared this morning basically using this boating incident as leverage to kind of guilt the company into giving her more time saying that she would pay the missing funds back which is later you're gonna see is just really fucked up when she learned the details of this but at first nobody believed Lori would do anything of the sorts everyone said how kind and nice she was I mean she wasn't the usual suspect for a embezzlement b to kill her husband so what's going on here what is that? It is very weird timing that her husband, that her and her husband go out for a sunrise boat ride and he goes overboard and then they can't find him. There's a search party. No one can find him. And then that same morning, she, it, it's announced that she has been fired from her job and she's suspected of embezzlement. It's pretty crazy. But what is the connection here? What is the connection here? Why did something bad have to happen to Larry? Because she was embezzling money. What's happening here? So Larry's son found it very odd that Lori would want to go out on the water in February in the morning. Apparently she hated being cold and complained about it frequently. Larry's son, he just can't believe she wanted to go out on the lake for sunrise in February. The entire situation just felt so off to him. And I heard him on police body cam footage when he's talking to police and he is saying, this doesn't feel right. Maybe it's just grief. I don't know. I've never experienced grief before, but something doesn't feel right. Yeah, his intuition was spot on. It all starts to make sense when the morning newspaper starts to circulate that same morning of the incident, like I was saying, and the newspaper had an article in it saying how Lori was accused of stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from the housing coalition she worked for, over 500000 Actually, it was closer to $600,000. Yikes. Perhaps she would have done anything to keep Larry from finding out. Seeming very odd that all this is happening on the same day. There's a lot of information about the scam that um, Lori was accused of pulling. I'm not going to go into depth with it because it is a lot. Also, it has a lot to do with checks and accounts and finances and just a lot of stuff I'm I'm not too familiar with when it comes to finances and in business stuff like that. I, I I'm at a loss. Um, I will, however, give a brief overview from what I understood happened, but again, I am no expert on this and I didn't spend a ton of time trying to figure out the exact embezzlement scam she was doing. Um, I wanted to more so focus on, on Larry. At the housing coalition Lori worked for, something odd started being noticed around 2015, 2016 with the accounts. Lori, she had managed to take control of a lot of money and if not all of the accounts. And there were transactions that didn't make 
sense. A forensic accountant noticed uh, a lot of this, but it took her a long time to untangle everything. Because I think when the forensic accountant started to notice earlier, Lori was able to put a lot of distance between her and the accountant. So it did take some time. But, you know, eventually by January of 2018, the company had figured out Lori had been depositing money into shell companies under her daughter's names. There was also something about checks with uh, forged signatures of board members. There was a lot happening here. And if you remember January 2018, when the company figured all of this out, that's one month before Larry went missing before that that morning boat ride where he went overboard and that's about all I could gather and it it, you know it is enough to know that what she was doing was very illegal later police find that in January Lori also changed Larry's will Mm -hmm. that's right she knew she was going to be busted and maybe this is when she actually started planning Larry's murder because this We, you know, it it seems premeditated. Um, We'll get into it. The changes she made left almost all of Larry's estates to her children. Okay, she had six children. Most of his percentage of his estate was going to go to her children. And a small percentage was going to go to his two children. And he had no idea she had done this. And every source I saw made a point to say how she made handwritten changes to Larry's will. And perhaps... Uh, that detail is so emphasized is because he didn't know what happened. She hand wrote these changes to his will. So it was probably very easy to prove that it was her who did this. Maybe that's why. Now, so now Lori is being questioned by police for her husband's disappearance. At the same time, she is being accused of grand theft and forgery. A lot happening. There's a lot happening for Lori. February 27th, she is arrested and charged with the uh, the whole embezzlement scam. And she gets 40 counts of forgery and one count grand theft. The police showed up at her house with a warrant. And guess what she was busy doing? She, <laughs> she was busy doing what every fraudster seems to do when the police are onto them and they know that people are going to be snooping around their business. Yes, she was at home shredding papers. Mm-hmm. So the police get to her house and she's just shredding papers and they say, hey, Lori, you got to stop shredding those papers. That's evidence. And she says, okay. And then they handcuff her and they take her to jail. But she wasn't in jail long because the next day her daughter bailed her out. The bail was $75,000 and her daughter just shows up the next day with this money and is like, trade you for my mom. And they're like, okay. And later we're going to find out the daughters did have something. Not all, not all six, but her daughters did have something to do with this embezzlement. Lori gets out on bail by her daughter with the 75 grand bail. There was evidence she was then trying to flee and by she wants to like sell all her stuff she wants to sell her house Larry's house I guess and then she actually does disappear for a while like two months yeah a couple days later after she gets released on bail Larry's body surfaces in the lake a woman notices what appears to be a body floating in front of her waterfront house and she calls 911 And she was right. It was a body. It was Larry. The location 
this the location that he was found surfacing in it was 30 miles away from where he had gone into the water months earlier now that investigators have larry's body they can perform an autopsy and see if Lori's story matches up with their findings and i'm assuming you could already guess it won't the coroner looks for signs of drowning and, I mean, because that's the obvious one. You know, the, okay, well, he, apparently he went overboard and then he was found in this water, so he must have drowned. But to nobody's surprise, it doesn't appear that Larry did drown. If he didn't drown, then that means he was dead before he went into that water. So they're like, okay, well, Lori said maybe he had a stroke. So they look to see if he had a stroke or if he had a heart attack because this would match up with, with Lori's story and perhaps she was telling the truth. He had a stroke and he fell overboard. Again, no. No heart attack, no stroke. So everyone is standing there scratching their heads until the toxicology report comes back. Yes, the almighty toxicology report always tells the truth. The report shows a highly lethal dose of diphenhydramine in Larry's body. 70 times the recommended dose. Oof. Okay, so what is this stuff, you ask? Well... It's in allergy medication. It's in Benadryl and can be deadly. Why the heck would Larry take 70 times the recommended dose of Benadryl though? Well, the answer, he had no idea he did. Larry's case went from missing persons to homicide real quick. And who do you think the number one murder suspect is? Yes, that is correct, Lori. But where the hell is Lori? Nobody knows she's disappeared. Investigators, they start digging around and they see that Lori even went as far to cancel her and Larry's local newspaper um, before the story was released about her. So she knew that the newspaper was going to print a story about her embezzlement and she didn't want Larry to read it in the paper. So weeks before that story went out, she canceled the newspaper. Okay, so they're building a case. They're finding all this information. Like, oh, that's kind of strange. That's how bad she didn't want him to see it in the newspaper. What else would she do? What else would she do to prevent him from finding out about this? Larry's children say that Larry would have divorced Lori so fast had he known what she was doing. He would have been so embarrassed and disgusted. Okay, I think those were the exact words that they used, embarrassed and disgusted with her that he would have left her and uh, he would have made sure that he didn't give her anything. And that's probably why she changed Larry's will. She probably knew, oh, Larry's going to be pissed off. He's going to leave me. He's going to leave me with nothing and I'll have nothing to leave my children and I believe Lori came from a very modest upbringing, uh, didn't have a lot of money growing up. Um, it was even said that her and her family would squat in old farmhouses just to have a place to live. Like they, When I say like no money, I mean they had no money. So maybe later in life, I, 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 you know, I'm not a psychologist, but maybe later in life the, as she got older, maybe she started to panic that um, – she was going to run out of money or not have money because she grew up with almost nothing. Maybe it was a fear for her. I don't know. 
This next piece of evidence, though, this will kind of seal the deal for you. So on Lori's computer, police search it, and they find that she had made some interesting searches uh, before Larry was killed. The keywords in the searches were drowning, water depths, boating accidents, and boat rentals. Huh. Why would she need to? So what I was like, okay, yeah, that's very incriminating. Yes. But boat rentals. And then I was thinking, oh, maybe because they have a boat. Why would she be looking at boat rentals? And I was like, maybe she was going to get a second boat. Maybe she was going to make it look like Larry had gone boating alone and she was going to plant the second boat somewhere or go on the second boat or something and make a getaway and that way it looked like she was never there with Larry at all I don't know I don't know I did just read a very good thriller book that had something to do with boats like this so maybe that's where I'm getting this idea from but I was like why would she why would she have to why would she have to look up boat rentals and then I'm like oh maybe she knew that the motor that they were having trouble with the motors Maybe they knew, maybe she knew that. She was like, okay, well, maybe I can get Larry to rent a boat to take us out. I don't know. I just found the boat rental thing weird when they already had a boat. So back to the current situation. Lori hadn't shown up to her court dates regarding the embezzlement situation. And by May of that same year, she had missed two, okay? Because she was in hiding. She was on the run. This resulted in a half a million dollar warrant placed on her. And apparently bounty hunters were after her. Which is crazy. If you see this woman, she is very unsuspecting. I mean, nobody would have ever guessed that this sweet unsuspecting woman would be in this situation. Having bounty hunters chasing her all around in hiding. It's just crazy. Apparently, she had never been in trouble with the law before. And now she is a suspect in her husband's murder and for embezzling money from a company that assists low-income earners and their families to house themselves that depends a lot on government grants. It's just crazy. Lori's life on the lam ends in July that same year when she decides to turn herself into police. I'm wondering if she thought she could get the the bounty, <laughs> the half a million dollars and pay back what she owes. I don't know. I do not know where Lori went when she was on the run, but I would love to know. I would love to know. What was she doing? Where did she go? Who did she stay with? Where did she hide? I don't know. When she turned herself in though, she did look like a different person. And by that, I mean she had changed her haircut and color. But to be fair, in every single picture I saw of this woman, she looked completely different. I think she just changed her looks up a lot. So whether or not the cut and color had anything to do with being on the lam, I don't know. July 25th, Lori is in police custody and she heads to court for the embezzlement crime. And she surprised everyone when she pled guilty. And she was sentenced to five years in prison. Before Lori's trial was her two daughters' trial, okay? And they both pled guilty to conspiracy to commit federal program theft in relation to their mother's scam. The two women were spared jail time and sentenced to three years probation. One of the daughters uh, charged, one of the daughters who, who was charged in that situation, she had actually worked for the housing coalition with Lori. 
Then I found a document that said four of her daughters were in on it. And I found this document on justice.gov and it appears to be from the United States Attorney's Office. So I'm just going to read this to you. And I mean, this will just show you how deep this scam was going. All right, here we go. Quote, according to records, Eisenberg, meaning Lori, admitted to stealing $579,495.75 from the North Idaho Housing Coalition, an organization that was funded in part with grants from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development Administrations through the Idaho Housing and Finance Association. Eisenberg was the coalition executive director when she engaged in a scheme with her four daughters to submit false invoices and expenses to the coalition for payment. These invoices were often submitted in the names of companies she set up in her daughter's names. Eisenberg provided her daughters with some of the money she took. Two of Eisenberg's daughters, Amber Hosking, 40, of Spirit Lake, Idaho, and Jessica Barnes, 32, of Spokane Valley, Washington, were sentenced yesterday by Judge Lodge for conspiracy to commit federal program fraud. The criminal charge stemmed from their participation in the wire fraud and federal program theft scheme with Eisenberg. Hosking admitted receiving $16,500 from the scheme. Jessica Barnes admitted receiving $15,500 from the scheme. Both women admitted they received money for work they did not do. Judge Lodge sentenced Hosking and Barnes each to three years probation and 100 hours of community service. Judge Lodge also ordered Hosking and Barnes to pay $16,500 and $15,500 in restitution, respectively. Their sentencing occurred at the federal courthouse in Coeur d'Alene. Eisenberg's other two daughters, Tracy Tesh, 34, of Rathdom, Idaho, and April Barnes, 42 of Coeur d'Alene, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit program theft earlier today. That criminal charge stemmed from their participation in wire fraud and federal program theft scheme with Eisenberg. Tesh admitted to receiving approximately $15,300 from the scheme. April Barnes admitted to receiving about $11,500 from the scheme. Sentencing for both Barnes and Tesh is set for May 1st, 2019 before Judge Lodge at the federal courthouse in Coeur d'Alene. Unquote. So that kind of clarifies what was happening in this scheme. It sounds like she had her daughter set up these shell companies, companies that didn't exist, that didn't do anything. And she was telling the housing coalition, hey, I'm going to hire this company to, I don't know, do something that couldn't really, I guess, be seen that it had been been done and then pay them for that. So whether it's like data entry or I don't know what it could be. So basically she was paying them for doing nothing and on paper it looked like they had done a job for the housing coalition, which they did not. I mean, <laughs> holy shit. What the fuck was going on at that nonprofit coalition? That, you know, that's the other thing that makes it so messed up is that not only were they stealing and profiting largely from an organization set up to assist low-income families, aka they're stealing from the needy, but it was a not-for-profit company. How how did how did none of them feel guilt in doing something so horrible? So horrible. Okay, all that gets sorted out. We got the embezzlement sorted out. All the kinks are worked out of that. What's going on with Larry's case? What what's going on here? 
While the investigation into Larry's death was underway, police knew that Lori wasn't going anywhere because she was now in prison for the next five years from the embezzlement thing. So I didn't have to worry about her going on the lam again because she was in prison. By January 31st, 2021, Lori was officially charged with murdering her husband, Larry. She had no intention of going through a trial again. Instead of a trial by jury, she took an Alford plea. This is something I have come across before in a case, and I've talked about it on my podcast before. It's when the accused does not admit guilt. They don't admit they did it, but there is enough evidence against them that a jury will will most likely find them guilty. So they take this Alford plea, which basically says, yikes, you got a lot of evidence. I will be found guilty, but I'm not admitting my guilt. I don't even know why it exists, but it does. And I've seen it more than once now. Months later was Lori's sentencing. And this is when she tells everyone about how murdering her husband, about how Larry died, how that was just an accident. She didn't mean to do it, but she had something to do with it, but she didn't mean to do it. Lori said she was trying to kill herself by crushing up a lot of Benadryl and putting it in her juice bottle. Crime scene photos, they do show an empty juice bottle in Lori's bag and allergy medication that contains diphenhydramine in her and Larry's vehicle, the one that was at the boat launch. And this juice bottle, it was it was like a naked juice. I think it was called naked juice. And it was very green looking. I saw the photo of it. Looked like some kind of kale, spinach, apple mix. Supposed to be a real healthy juice. And um, she claims that she had fallen asleep on the boat. She had her, her, her suicide juice and she was planning on drinking it in the boat to kill herself but when she fell asleep Larry found that juice and he drank it and she said she claimed she had no intention of giving it to Larry she said she was going to drink it on the boat because she knew that the embezzlement scam was going to come out she knew that Larry was going to find out she didn't want to tell him she didn't know what she was going to do so Part of her plan, I guess, was to kill herself, but then Larry ended up drinking the juice instead. She also says that she's very sorry for everything she did, starting with the embezzlement that resulted in lies, deceit, and betrayal. And she also wanted it known that she especially loved Larry. She loved Larry so much. She does take full responsibility for Larry's death and says that because of her, he is dead. But she never intended him to die or to drink that juice. That juice was not for him. It was for her. This is She's really sticking by this. The judge must have looked at Lori and said, oh, that's nice. And then she handed down a 30-year sentence uh, that she must serve all of it before she can even talk about parole. Yeah, solid 30 years, no parole. Basically, Lori's going to die behind bars unless she lives to be over 98 years old or something. So, ouch. And there's no no chance of parole, which I didn't even know you could... I mean, I knew you could do that, but I always thought there was a chance. But apparently there's something where you can say, you're doing 30 years, and I fucking mean it. No good behavior, release, nothing. 30 years is your 30 years. Like, solid. And no, no way around it. 
As for Lori's children, well, it doesn't sound like they were too thrilled with their mother over the murder because when interviewed by Dateline, apparently Dateline did a two-hour special on this called Kill Switch, but I couldn't find it. I went to date, I was Googling Dateline. I was looking up this episode that Dateline did because it looked very informative. It had a lot of information and I really wanted to watch it. But every link I clicked on was like, oh, this is expired or oh, it's not up anymore. And it wasn't on YouTube. And I just could not find this two hour Dateline episode called Kill Switch they did on Lori and Larry Eisenberg. So I don't know if you want a more in-depth look or if you want to, um, I think they interview the families. Uh, If you want to see that, look it up. Let me know if you can find it. I could not get it anywhere. But what I did find was articles online of people talking about the episode or, you know, so this is where I got this from. And Lori's daughter, Amber Hosking, in this Dateline episode, she said Quote, I regret not saying more in the beginning. I regret not talking to investigators. I regret not standing up for Larry. And then there was another quote that said, we do not support her. We do not stand by her, unquote. So it sounds like not even her children believe that suicide story. Uh, I mean, look at the evidence. There was evidence suggesting that she was planning the murder. Just look at those ominous internet searches about boating accidents, drowning, water depth. It's... I don't know. That's kind of weird, no? Just saying. Very incriminating. That concludes this week's episode. I'm really hoping third time around recording this worked. I haven't checked yet. If you're hearing it, it means it did work. Um, Fingers crossed over here. I am still away, but I did manage to pre-record this one before I left. So I kind of feel like I'm tricking you right now. I don't know why. Like, huh, I recorded this last week. Not this week. Gotcha. But no. Okay. So yeah, this is pre-recorded. I am not back in the studio. As you're listening to this, I am in cold climate, baby. If you want to check out the podcast on Instagram and TikTok, look us up at a hell no underscore a true crime podcast. And don't forget to rate five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It is an amazing, free, completely free way to support my podcast. One of the best ways other than listening every week and telling people about me and sharing the podcast. Spotify or Apple Podcast will uh, recommend my podcast to more people given a higher rating. So please, I would really appreciate a five-star rating, Spotify or Apple Podcast. And I would love, love, love to see you over on TikTok. I'm trying to get 1,000 followers so I can activate the going live feature. I really want to do lives. I've got a few things planned for lives, but I can't unlock that feature until I have 1,000 followers. So please head on over to TikTok, look up hell no underscore a true crime podcast, give a follow there. I post once a week and I would just love to do lives, you know, I would just love it. So thanks for listening and hopefully fingers crossed I can get you an episode out next week and I'll see you then. Bye.